Let's take our Bibles together to the book of 3 John. 2 John is about a family. 3 John is about a local church. Both of them are needed. That's why you don't have just 1 John or just 2 John. You've got 1, 2, and 3 John. You, got a, you need that relationship personally with the Lord. Then you need that Lord in your home and then the Lord in the local church. And that's what 3 John is about. And just like homes and people have problems, local churches have problems. And if you're looking for a church that doesn't have a problem, you will not find it. If you're looking for a spouse that doesn't have problems, you're not going to find that either. You can change as many times as Elizabeth Taylor and you won't find it. Not out there. And uh, you're never going to be without problems. But it's good that the Lord can help us through all those things. And so we're starting to read in 3 John. There's, you know, I'm glad he, he, there's some wonderful good news in this epistle. You can't just look at the bad. You know, if we're not careful, we'll look at 3 John and all we'll read about is about Diotrephes. But there's three men in this story and my question is, which man are you? 3 John verse 1, the Bible says, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. The well-beloved Gaius. John is writing unto this man. He obviously loves him. He says that. He addresses him so. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Notice the care that John gives to this man that he loves. He loves them to the extent that He's walking in truth. He brings rejoicing to John's life. And the Bible says in verse number 2, John writes to him, he said, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. He brought such delight to John. John cared for him, and it's one thing to care for people. It's another thing for people to bring delight and joy and rejoicing in your life. I, I wonder, are we like Gaius? Do we cause other people to rejoice? Or do we cause other people to be burdened? 
I don't know about you, but I'd like to be a, a, a cause of rejoicing in other people's lives. When they get the testimony of my life, when the thought, when the thought of you comes up in their mind, you ought to want it to bring joy and blessing to their heart. That's not true about everybody. I'd say when Gaius died that he would be missed. He would be missed because of the love that people had for him, but the rejoicing and the blessing he was to other people's lives. He was a blessing to the church. The church would miss him. You know what the truth is? There are some people that if they were to die or drop off in the church, they wouldn't even be missed. Matter of fact, there'd be some people in the assembly, you've got one named here in 3 John. If Diotrephes would leave the congregation, he would not be missed. It would be a blessing if he would leave. You understand the picture I'm trying to present? So do you want to be that blessing to others, that cause of rejoicing in other people's lives? If so, you're going to have to be like this man, Gaius. You can't be like Diotrephes or someone else. You know, the Bible gives us a story of of a man in Second Chronicles, and he was a king. And the Bible speaks of him to us and tells us 32 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years and departed without being desired. That king, when he died, nobody even cared because... There was no void left in their life because he never brought joy and rejoicing to their heart. I I don't want to be that way. I, I know that I will never live up to the testimony of my, my dad. But when he departed, he left, he left a great void because he was such a blessing to everybody. He was an encouragement to people. I got a call last week from, an evangelist that I don't even know any very well. And he called me and said, he said, Preacher, I just want to remind you and tell you, I know it's coming up a year, and, and I just want to tell you how much a blessing your dad was to me, and I didn't even know him for very long, but he was such an influence in my life. I thought, man, what a testimony. I wonder when I die, will I leave that kind of testimony? I wonder when you pass this life, will you pass this life without being desired? And it won't be based upon how nice or good looking you were or how rich you were or how many gifts. It will be based upon your testimony of the truth that is in thee. The reason that Gaius was such a blessing to John was because he walked in the truth. His testimony was that the truth was in him and he walked in the truth. And John says in verse number four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Evidently, he's counting Gaius as one of his children, one of his spiritual children. I guess he led him to Christ. I don't know the whole story of Gaius, but but I know that he, he said, there's no greater joy in my life than to know that my child walks in the truth. If you're a parent and you have any character at all or any heart at all for God or for righteousness, the greatest joy that your children will ever bring to you will be if they're doing right. It won't be how rich they are, how successful they are. We want our children to be successful. I don't even mind them being rich if they'll put money in the mission offering. 
That's fine too. That's just part of life. I don't, I don't dream for people not to be successful. But the greatest joy is to look at one of your children and know that they're walking in the truth of God, that they're doing what God wants them to do. Not that they look like a success to the world or even to themselves or to other people. Not to show them off. But to know they're doing right. Now if they're not doing right, you still love your children, right? You still love them, but the joy's not there. That's all right to say. You can love someone and they not bring joy to your life. God loves us, but we all don't always bring joy to Him. We love the church, but everybody in the church doesn't bring joy to everyone else. And that can only happen if we're walking in the truth. If we're doing what God wants us to do, we will bring joy to somebody else's life. And if we're not doing what God tells us to do in this book, then we're not going to bring joy in the life. And it doesn't matter even how many gifts you buy them. It won't even matter how much money you put in the offering plate. If you're not doing what God tells you to do in the Bible, you won't be a blessing to other people. And when you depart, nobody will even care. Guys, I hate to say this, but... You, I don't know how many funerals I've conducted in this county that nobody really even cared. I've conducted funerals that nobody even went to. I've conducted funerals where the family didn't even show up. Now, now, now here's the bad thing. Sometimes the family shows up, (laughs) but they only show up because they have to. And later on, there's not a great void there because, matter of fact, I think some people in the family are waiting for the family member to die. And it's not that there's joy there. I'm just asking you a question. Which man are you? Are you this well-beloved Gaius and you're trying to live for God? It's not even being such a personable person. You can have the best personality in the world, but if you're going to bring joy and rejoicing to somebody, it's because you walk in the truth and you're living by the precepts of that Bible. And if you want to, if you don't want to make your mom and dad happy, you got a problem. I don't know what your problem is if you don't want to make your mom and dad happy. But if if you want to make your parents happy, if you want to make your family happy, then do right. Just do right. You know, my dad, he didn't, he, he wasn't all disappointed in me if I didn't, if I wasn't the home run king in the little league team. I did all that stuff. I played little league. I played football, basketball. I'd have played whatever I could play. And if I was an honor student, I did all that stuff. But you know what brought the delight to my dad? If I was doing what was right. He didn't say, that's my boy. Did you see him knock that over center field? He didn't say that. He'd testify, sure, I'm glad that my son surrendered to the Lord and what God wanted him to do for his life. So here's the question. You know, you don't have to be a preacher to be. I don't think Gaius was a preacher. 
I think he was a member in a local church that was a blessing to everybody. And when John wrote to the church, he didn't even write to the pastor. He wrote to the blessed individual in the church that was such a blessing to him. So are you Gaius? Do you cause others to rejoice? Let's look at this brother. I want, I, I want to know more about him. Verse 1, the elder and the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in hell. You know, when somebody's walking in the truth, then uh, you, can, you can pray prosperity on them. Is that all right? Would you look at that again? I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as I soul prosper. He couldn't have said that about everybody, because if you're not walking in the truth, we don't want you to prosper. We want you to be right with God. We want you to wind up in a, in a, in a hog pen somewhere knowing that your way is not God's way. He's praying for prosperity for this man because he's doing right. He's living right. He's doing what God wants him to do in a local church. And John says, I want you to prosper. He said, I wish above all things. That's almost a strange thing. I don't, that almost is like it's evangelistically speaking. I mean, really, if I would say what I wish above all things for you tonight, it wouldn't be that thou, that thou mayest prosper and be in health. You say, well, that sounds like a carnal thing. No, John needed this guy healthy and in the church. Are you listening to me? John needed this guy to stay in good health and to stay in good form because he didn't need to lose him in the church. If there was one reason for his health to stay good, it was because he was such a blessing and we can't afford to lose you. I want you to be in health above all things because if you get sick and die, we're in a problem. Because you're such a blessing to the church. I know none of us are indispensable, but I tell you what, there's some things in some local congregations that if, if, if you lose some of them at the wrong time, you're going to really hurt. He's praying that his that thou mayest prosper and be in health. Now watch verse 2 again. Thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. Now so this is not a carnal request. Now get what John says. John says, I want you to be as physically healthy as you are spiritually healthy. I want you to prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. In other words, this guy has a healthy soul. He has a prosperous soul. He's full on the inside. And John said, I want you to be as full on the outside as you are on the inside. Now let me answer the question. If you're going to prosper in health as much as you prosper spiritually, how much prosperity is coming your way? Do you get that? Matter of fact, could you pray that? Lord, would you bless me physically to the, to, the, to the same degree as I'm spiritually right with you? That, that's what he's saying about this guy. You know what I really think? I think if your soul's not prospering, you don't need to prosper. 
Because that's the most important part of you. And so if your soul's not prospering, I, I, I don't think you need to get a good job. What would you do with it? If, if your soul's not prospering, I don't even think you need to be in good health. Is that too hard? We all want to be healthy, don't we? Ain't nobody in here wants to wants a death wish. Nobody in here wants to get a disease. Let me, ask you, let me ask you a question. Why should God let you be healthy if you're not doing right? Just make you healthy so you can do wrong more? Not Gaius. He said, I want you to be healthy because I want you to keep doing what you're doing. I, I said, years ago, I was in Romania. I sat down with my partner. I said, you know what? I want to live in such a way that God is motivated to keep me alive. Is there any motivation for God to keep you breathing? Is there any motivation for God to keep you healthy? If you're, why should you be healthy if you're not going to use your body for the Lord? I've told you about that illustration. That dear man that, that died in our church in, in Virginia... He was serving God, and I was praying, God, why didn't you kill somebody else in the church? Why didn't you, kill, why didn't you let somebody die that wasn't doing anything? Is it, I'm trying to be real with you tonight. Why didn't you let the guy die at 40 years old who was working as hard for you as he could when I got a whole bunch of whole 40 years olds here that can't even come to church half the time and aren't doing diddly squat for you. And if they died, nobody would, the work of God wouldn't even miss them. And matter of fact, in a few years, they're going to be out anyway. They're just, they're just breathing your air. They're just walking in and out, wearing out the upholstery in the church. They're not accomplishing. Why, why is the guy that, that is the gayest, why did you let him go to heaven? Now, God never answered me in that. You know why? Because that's none of my business and God does what he wants to do. He didn't ask me. But I, he's right, but I was just frustrated. He's the guy I wanted healthy. I didn't care if this guy died. If you're not doing right, if you're not a blessing to the Lord and to the church and to others, why should you keep breathing? Because for to me to live is, well, if that's not the case, then why should I live? It's not for me to live as work. It's not for me to live is to raise my family. It's not for me to live is to enjoy life. It's for me to live as Christ. So what's the motivation for my good health? So I can live for God. When I was on the sickbed, I wasn't saying, Oh God, please fix this, this gallbladder problem so I don't hurt anymore. Now it wound up at the end of the, I hurt enough that I started praying that. But I said, God, take care of this so I can preach Sunday. And he did. In other words, Lord, look, you know what I told God? I said, God, let me hurt on Monday. That's what I prayed. But I didn't know he let me hurt as soon as church was out. 
You don't get everything you pray for. But the motivation to want to be well. You understand what I'm saying? How how many times? You know, I think we, we can pray about everything and everybody's needs. But you know, if we ever got really real with people, when somebody raised their hand and said, you know, pray for so and so, you know, got pneumonia. If we said, okay, who cares? They're not going to be here Sunday if they're well anyway. See, that's a little bit too real. Because this is what we want. We want God to bless us, and yet we give God nothing back in return. That's what we expect from God. Make my life good, but if I feel like tipping you, I will. And that's not how it's supposed to be. Our lives are God's. He bought them. He paid for them. Our lives are hid with Christ and God and all that we are belongs to Him. And yes, if I'm walking in the truth, God, help me to be, help me to be prosperous. Help me to be healthy so I can keep walking this life because there's not a whole lot of people walking in the truth. We don't need to lose anymore. That's Gaius. He brings rejoicing to John and the church. And so they care for him. They want him to be blessed and helped by God. Because he's such a joy. Man. If I called your name tonight. You know, I had a a teacher do this one time in Christian high school. It was probably the first time I ever saw myself the way I probably should have. I had a Christian high school teacher that uh, had everybody take out a piece of paper. You didn't put your name on it. And he called somebody's name out, and you had to write the first three words to describe what you thought about that person. And then he took up all those papers and gave them to you. We live in such a dream world. But here's a question. All right, so if I took your name, would they say, what a blessing. Puts a smile on my face, causes me to rejoice. I thank God upon every remembrance of them. They're such a help to me. Or are they going to say, what a drag. What a burden. What a prayer request. What a heartache. Because I'm just saying, what man do you want to be? I I don't know about you, but I would like to be the kind of person that walks in the truth so much that I was a blessing to other people's lives. And that I caused rejoicing. Some of you know about that with your children. Some of you have a child that's just, I mean, they bring joy bells to your heart. And then you got another one that's like, oh. I remember, I'm sure it's changed now, but I remember that little girl on the end right there. Her middle name is Joy. But it wasn't always Joy. Y'all know what I'm talking about? 
Guys, you don't want to be that one in the family. And God can change you. Just like He changed that little girl, He can change you. You want to walk in the truth? Gaius, He said to Gaius, I want you to be prospering and in health as thy soul prospers. Now, what else? We see the care he had for this man. But I want to show you the next thing about him. Look at verse number 5. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. The word that describes Gaius, if you want to be like Gaius, There's one word that really describes it. It's the word charity. If there was one word to describe your personality, what would it be? If there would be one word to describe your Christian life, what would it be? Gaius was the word charity. Do you know the Bible tells us that the end of the commandment, the end of all these things, you know what it is? That's 1 Timothy chapter 1. The end of the commandment, is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. You know where God wants to bring your life? He wants to bring you to charity. I've said this before. People say I simplify life, and I probably do, but I just, I, I don't know. I look in the Bible, and I look at the chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the chapter about charity. And what I really believe is, I believe that Jesus Christ is the epitome of charity. I believe he's the only one that has, has ever. And he talks about spiritual gifts, and I wish I had this gift, and I wish I had that gift. I wish I had faith. I, I wish I had hope. The greatest of these is charity. There's a more excellent way to life, and that's living life in charity. And if you are a charitable person, if your life, if we could write charity over your life, you would be the husband you were supposed to be, you would be the wife you're supposed to be, you would be the Christian you're supposed to be, you would be the church member, and the reason that we're not, if we would be like Jesus, don't you think things in our lives would change? Is there, a, is there anything in our relationships, if everybody was like Jesus, let me ask you a question, if everybody in your house was like Jesus, do you think it would be a good home? Could it not help but be a good home? And somebody says, yeah. That's not the, no. Everybody in there needs to be like Jesus. And here's the thing, somebody said, well, I'm not going to be like Jesus if you're not going to be like Jesus. You're stupid. Sorry, parents. I know you don't use that word, but that's true. I'm only going to be like Jesus if you're like Jesus. You're saved. That's, you want to be Gaius. I don't know anything about his wife. I don't know anything about it, the rest of his family. But I know he was full of charity. And every time you mentioned him, you know what he, you mentioned? You mentioned a person that suffereth long and is kind. Every time you thought about Gaius, you're thinking about a guy that envies not. Guys, I, I, think, I think I've got a message on envy coming down the pike. I think it's, it's destroying people's minds and their lives. You think about Gaius, he's not envious anybody. In other words, he, he didn't have to have the Sunday school class. 
He didn't have to be recognized by the pastor. He's not envious. He didn't have to have the most beautiful wife in the congregation. Anybody listen to me? Because he's full of charity. He envies not. He vaunts not himself. He's never puffed up. You ever seen somebody puffed up? I'm not talking about overeating. I'm talking about character. Haughty. Puffed up. Never gay. You never saw gayers puffed up. Guys, I've seen walking to church. I've seen people walking to church puffed up as big as a peacock. No, nobody, nobody needs to see that. That doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help you. Charity is not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. You ever been around somebody that behaved themselves unseemly? Seeketh not her own. That's Gaius. Not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. That's this man. And that's what, if you want to be a blessing to other people, if you want to be this guy, you've got to be a person of charity. They've borne witness of your charity. That's not just how you live. That's how, how you give. Look at verse 5 again. He says, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. This guy was good to people he didn't even know. He was, uh, he did faithfully to the brethren. He was a man of hospitality. They have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. He's helping other people that are traveling through. The same people that this other guy, this other guy that is not like Gaius, he's full of pride, he's full of himself, he has no charity, he don't want to have anything to do with these other people because he's, he's interested in building his own show. And here's Gaius, he's just receiving these brethren, he's good to them, he helps them along, he gives to them, he conducts them on their way. And John says, thank you, Gaius, thank you, you're such a blessing. You have such hospitality. You know, the Bible tells us to be given to hospitality. It doesn't just say that for the pastor, for the bishop. It also says that to all of us as saved people. In Romans 12, 13, we're all to be given to hospitality. We should be lovers of hospitality. He says in 1 Peter 4, 9, use uh, hospitality one to another without grudging. Don't be hospitable to people because you have to. Be hospitable to people even into your home because you love them. Now, notice the great contrast in 2 John. You know what we said in, in verse 10 and 11 of 2 John? He says about not letting some people into your home. You remember that? If somebody comes to your house and they don't bring this doctrine, you don't let them in your house. You don't even bid them God's speak. But he says to these brethren, to these people that need God, let them in your house. Be hospitable to them. Help them. Be a blessing to them. Be a charitable individual. He did that to brethren, but he also did that to strangers. Maybe those strangers were lost people. Maybe those strangers were just people he didn't know. Maybe those strangers were angels. That's Hebrews 13 too. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. Some have entertained angels unawares. Mm. 
Here's a motivation for you to pray. Everybody pray that my house gets done real quick, would you? Because I'm getting very convicted about not opening up my home and bringing people. I told you I'd do that once I got my house fixed. Still needs to get built. And I mean that. Because I want to be gayest. And look, if you're closed off to everybody else, you're not a blessing to anybody. You say, well, that's not my nature. Well, we have something in common. (laughs) Well, this is my private space in my house. I get it. But you're not supposed to be like you. You're supposed to be like Jesus. Guys, if we can't have our brethren over our house, are we going to have strangers over? You know what I really believe? I believe when lost people come in here, they ought to go over to your house. And not all over to the preacher's house. They've already had enough time to listen to me for 45 minutes. They're already freaked out about the guy that's been screaming from the pulpit. I'm not kidding around. I'm not making a joke. I'm being honest. I go up to him and say, you want to come to my house? No, I don't think so. I think. Maybe you calm down next time. There, there's people coming here never heard a, preach, a message preached in all their life. This is so foreign to them. But if you'll love on them, they'll think at least there's some normal people in here, not like the crazy guy out there. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm not making a joke. Come on over to the house. We're not all like that. <laughs> of course, I'm not like that out of the pulpit. But they don't know that. Can you imagine? Coming over to the house. All right, let's play. Heavenly Father! <laughs> Come on in. You need to get saved. That's not, the way, that's not the way we conduct ourselves with strangers. That's not the way our hospitality is. But they do need to hear that message about salvation, about hell. Right. But maybe it would be much easier if somebody would be hospitable to them, bring them home. The motive in our lives as Christians should be charity. It ought to be charity after a godly sort, he says in verse 6. Some people think they're charitable and it's an ungodly way. Charity never rejoices in iniquity. It never helps iniquity. Bring forward on their journey. Helping people. Do you see that in verse, where is it? Verse number six. If thou bring forward on their journey. Would you underline that? If thou bring forward on their journey. You know, if I was a charitable person, you know what I'm doing? I'm helping you on your journey. You know where our journey should be? We're bound for the promised land. Our journey should be to be like Jesus. Are you helping somebody on their journey? Please, God, be like Jesus. That's charity. Bringing them to the same Savior that changed your life. Bringing them to the same Bible that's, that's conducting your life. Bring them on their journey. That's what real charity is. He says, receive such. Verse number 8. We therefore ought to receive such. Receive them. Instead of getting something out of them, you're receiving them to give something to them. That's charity. Charity's not trying to get. Charity's trying to give. And these are things that I want to say tonight about this man. His motive was charity. 
And that means that he did not live by the wrong motive of trying to get something out of life. He wanted to give something. Look at verse 7. Would you look at verse 7? Because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. The, the right motive of life is not to be a taker but to be a giver. In other words, when they were coming, these, these brethren that came forth, that they weren't trying to, they, they were trying to serve God and live for God. They weren't trying to get all the heathen money and all that. They were just trying to tell people about Christ. And Gaius said, I want to help you because you don't have a monetary a motive. You're not trying, you're not out to get anybody's money. You're just out to take Jesus to them. And I want to help you on your journey on your way because you have an unselfish heart and you will not even take anything of the Gentiles that you're preaching to. That reminds me of Abraham. You remember when when Abraham rescued uh, Lot and all those people back and they came back and they wanted to give King Solomon wanted to give uh, Abraham a big gift and he said I'm not going to take a, a shoe latchet from nothing. I'm not going to take anything from you. Abraham wasn't a taker. He was a giver. You know, the motive of our life should be charity, which means the motive of our life, we should be givers, not takers. You say, well, you, you, we're preaching that just for, to get money. I, look, I, I, I've got a much bigger job for this church than trying to get some more money. I'm trying to get your heart. But this is what I know. When you fail to be a giver, you fail to give God your heart. When you start being a taker, when you come to church by what you can get out of church than what you can give to church. When you have relationships with other people based upon they help you instead of how you can help them. You're a taker. And that's the wrong motive for life. That, that's, one of the, that's one of the great dangers of Christmas. If, it, if it's all about getting instead of giving. There's a, that's, guys, we don't have a Christmas offer because I say, well, what, what can we dream up to get the fleece, the sheep, and get more money out of them? That's not it. I want you to be a giver instead of a taker. I want somewhere an emphasis to be on not what can I get this year, but what can I give? Because that should be the motive of my life. And that's what this man was like. They were come by. He didn't even know who they were. He's a giver. They're giving their lives. He's giving to them. He's helping them on their way. You know, some of these missionaries that come through, we don't know all about them, but we, we try to help them on their way. We want to give to them as they're, they're living for Jesus. He says right here, would you look at verse 7 again? Because that for his name's sake they went forth. The motivation for life or our life should be charity. The motivation of our life should be giving, never taking. The motivation of our life, really, just you bullet down, should be for his name's sake. If you're living for anything but for his name's sake, you're, you're missing the ball. The psalmist prayed, lead me in the paths of righteousness for what? His name's sake. You know what, if we're not careful... We, we can even do right, not for his name's sake, but for our name's sake. The motive of life is for his name's sake. Lead me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The disciples in Matthew 19, 29, Jesus said to them, If you've forsaken houses and lands and father and mother and children and all this, all this he said, He said, for my name's sake. They gave up even family relationships for his name's sake. 
Would you be willing to give up family relationships for His name's sake? said, I couldn't do that. Well, then you've got the wrong motive for life. It's all about His name. We're saved in His name. We pray in His name. We bear and declare His name to the world. He said if we even give a cup of cold water in His name, we gather together in His name. If need be, we suffer for His name's sake. We labor for His name's sake, Revelation 2.3. And we hold fast that we have and we don't dare deny His name, Revelation chapter 2. The motivation of my life is how does my life reflect on His name? A name that's above every name. So whatever I do, however I live... I, I want it to reflect well on His name because I'm living for His name's sake. You want a motive for life? That's it right there. There's, there's, no, there's no question why so many people don't have anything worth, they don't have anything to live for. I've talked to people, I don't have anything to live for. Well, you need to live for His name's sake. You need to live to lift up His name. So I, I just go to work and go to work and lift up his name. Amen. Well, I got all these problems in my family. Just lift up his name. Sing about his name. Praise his name. One of the blessings, Miss Shannon up here singing about what Mary called him, but I call him Lord. That, that, that touched me. I like that. Whenever anybody gets on the name of Jesus, that, that, that's reading my mail right there. That's what my life is about. Not about my name, it's about his name. Gaius' life was about the name of Jesus and helping anybody else that's trying to lift his name up. You don't connect your life's motive with the name of Jesus, then you don't have any reason to live. Then he says lastly in verse number 8, We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Motive for life, Gaius, well-beloved. His motive was charity. His motive was Jesus, the name of Jesus. His motive was giving and not getting. And his motive was always to help the truth. The Bible says we can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. In 2 John, we went through that in verse 2, all through there, about for the truth's sake, the truth this and the truth that. Is your life about helping the truth? Do you want to help the truth? That's why we're involved in missions. We want to help the truth. Paul heard that Macedonian voice, that cry, come over and help us. Help us in what way? Help us with the truth. Priscilla and Aquila, Paul's helpers, he had so many people. He said, he's our help. They're my help. We help through our, so many through our praying, through our giving, through our works. You can help the truth or you can hurt the truth. What are you doing? What's your motive? What's your life about? 
Is it to help the truth? Lord, if I live and die and I drop dead before I'm 55, if I've done a little bit to help the truth, I'll go out smiling. Amen. Guys, those soldiers that are falling in Ukraine, some of them... all they, they were just trying to help. Well, there's Americans that have gone over and died. All kind of people. And they didn't really accomplish much. Can, can we be honest about that? Here's a soldier on the battlefield. He didn't take over. I mean, he's not like, you know, Sergeant Rourke, York that took over all the, you know, the, the nests of the enemy and, and, and took a hundred German prisoners. No, the average soldier that dies in battle, he didn't gain one more inch of ground. But he was there to be a help for his side. And if he lived and died and helped the truth in any way or helped his side in any way. So when you live and die, will it be known about you? They helped the truth. When I preach sometimes, I don't know how much I connect. I know what I'm saying, but I don't know how much of it connects. I'm telling you tonight, you can be a gayist or you can be something totally different. And it has nothing to do with being a preacher. It has something to do with what is your motivation in life. And you can be that one. They step back and if God wrote a letter from heaven, my well-beloved, I have no greater joy. Born witness of thy charity. For my name's sake. Helper of the truth. Taking nothing of the Gentiles. That can be you.